I'm Pee-Wee's and I'm Bowie. Let's get the end. Live new girls. I was stalking hoes in the center of town. Check it out. Right here, this is Show World Center. I had a show Welcome to Tales of Times Square, the tapes. I'm Josh Allen Friedman. Ain't no trick to turn a hick into a hooker. Not with all the hocus pocus that I know. Ain't no trick to turn a hick into a hooker Ain't no thing that I ain't done before Don't take much to turn a girl into a woman Don't take much to set the devil in her Is a cold-blooded, sweet-talking, jive-ass motherfucking son of a bitch <laughs> like me. Around 1995, the city of New York finally closed and condemned the last peep shows and live sex emporiums on 42nd Street. They shuttered every last store between Broadway and 8th Avenue and chased out the last hooker, a massive civic effort that took 20 years. 42nd Street was empty. Broadway composer Cy Coleman told the 42nd Street Development Corporation, let's make the whole street musical comedies. But top board member Gerald Schoenfeld, the head of the dominant Schubert Theaters organization, didn't like his idea. Theater owners wanted to diversify with a dance school, a children's center. That would bring people to 42nd Street. Coleman said, if you're worried about getting a lot of people back, I got a great idea. The board asked, what is it? Coleman said, pornography. And Cy Coleman had just the show. It was called The Life. The hit musical played the Ethel Barrymore, a Schubert theater, in 1997 through 98. Pimps and hookers, all singing, all dancing. Nostalgia hit the moment they eliminated sex from Times Square. Here's Cy Coleman in his office shortly after the show opened. Oh, uh, it is the guys and dolls of today. I don't mean, maybe that's an insult. Now that it's, quote, gone from Times Square, here's a show, uh, in a sense, sort of a celebration of all that, um, in a Schubert theater. Yeah, well, that kind of What kind of irony is that? Uh, well, I don't know if it's irony at all, because what it is is that we're not really kind of like endorsing bringing that back. No more than uh, if you see a play about Ivanhoe that it's endorsing the Crusades. I mean, bringing it back. I think what we did is the very, the very reason that we really did this show was in a sense it's kind of like there's a human story under there. Of course. And it's a very, and it's a very colorful, theatrical, and an environment that existed. This is no, no, nobody can wish it away. It was there. And we found this very compelling. 
And I think what what the Schubert's realized after a while, and I think that all the theater owners were very were very wary of it because of the fact of the subject matter. But when they came in and saw that these were about people, and this was a story, and this was a compelling story, that I think they were won over. Back were the pimps, hookers, lowlives, and three-card Monty players, all singing, all dancing on Broadway. My people, my street. I felt like joining them on stage. The life was first conceived by lyricist Ira Gassman, who had observed the psychodramas and arrests occurring between pimps, hookers, and cops in Times Square, and he figured this belonged on stage as much as on the street. I convened with David Newman and Cy Coleman, two grand guys, in Coleman's East Side townhouse a few weeks after the life opened in 1997. David Newman wrote the libretto with Ira Gassman and Cy Coleman. Newman was the screenwriter of Bonnie and Clyde with his partner and fellow Esquire editor Robert Benton. They also wrote the libretto of the 1966 Broadway musical Superman, and David co-wrote the three Superman movies of the 1970s with his wife Leslie Newman. Cy Coleman wrote the scores of ten iconic Broadway musicals, including Sweet Charity, Little Me, The Will Rogers Follies, I Love My Wife, and City of Angels. Having just won a few Drama Desk Awards, both of them are now anxious over the upcoming Tony nominations, another hurdle in the marketing merry-go-round so crucial in keeping an original multi-million dollar musical breathing. 25 years ago, um, there were over 100 black pimps living in the Westerly Hotel, staying at the Westerly Hotel. There were over a thousand street walkers on 8th Avenue every single night in the mid-70s. At what point did you envision them all singing and all dancing? Well, that was a long, that was a, a process. And I mean, the, the person who was really kind of like there in the neighborhood was really Ira, uh, Ira Gassman. And Ira was kind of wandering at that time, you know, I think, you know, whatever that was, he became infatuated with the street. I don't think that he was partaking of anything or interested in the, the hookers of those, but he just became fascinated with his character. Here's David Newman. He has some story witnessing some big verbal confrontation on the street, you know, and, and having this revelatory moment of realizing that that there were more, that these people had the same kind of lives as he did, or anybody did. They just happened to make their living in a tawdry profession, you know. And I think he got interested out of sympathy and fascination. And the identification to in some ways. I think identification, I think he admired. So it started he with admired some, some of these guys. Yeah. You know, that, uh, the pimps, I think there was a, a, oh, well, an element of admiration there, too. And maybe the way they dressed and that sort of thing. We all did. the Superfly era. Yeah, Superfly era. And you're coming in. And this Silky. show is a little right after. I was going to get to that. You know, this <laughs> show is a little after that. Like, you know, so you can allude to AIDS. Well, so that's guess. exactly what you we know, did. Right at that year, you know. When this show, this show was very specifically, at an, in an earlier stage, it, we were saying mid-70s. Yeah. Then we had the AIDS problem thrown confronted with the AIDS Why? problem. Was, did somebody say, the problem oh, was this, you can't do this without doing you AIDS. Can't do a show it, you can't do it without AIDS because the audience will think all these people are, un are engaging in unsafe sex and they don't know what's around the corner. On the other hand, you can't do it post-AIDS because then it's a bummer and you think these people are irresponsible, 
because they're spreading disease. Right. So we picked this date that was the time, 1980, the very year when was AIDS the very was year when every when people were saying, there's something going around, but we don't know what it is. So that the audience goes, when she says, I'm not feeling right, it ain't VD, it ain't no kind of class, it ain't no kind of... The audience goes, ah, uh, but she doesn't know. Mm -hmm. And and so that's how we we positioned it exactly in 1980, so we could have our cake and eat it. So I can, uh, yeah, so the life's creators were sensitive to the idea that it was too soon for nostalgia, and they had to walk such a fine line to pull off this subject for a mainstream audience on Broadway. It was this tougher to, to get through because of the subject matter? Well, it was not only the subject matter. The subject matter was tougher in terms of making of, of, of raising money. Uh, there were people who were very interested in it, but very scared. Uh, they were afraid that the people wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily go for it, but what it is, <clears throat> is that it was terrible because we had a lot of circumstances. We had a director that died. Uh, Joe Layton who was involved with it for a long time, and then uh, he died of AIDS. That was a sad. That was a very sad and a very trying moment for everybody involved. But the fact is that it needed it needed some more input, and that's where David came in. So what it is it built at that point? Did you come in before Michael Blakemore? Or? Oh yeah, long before. Long before. And I, I knew that Ira and I had gone about as far as we could go with it. And now we needed somebody to come in and take what we had done and shape it into something more than it was. In the decade it took to launch The Life, Cy Coleman released a concept album of songs, performed with tracks sung by Billy Preston, Bobby Short, Lou Rawls, Liza Minnelli, and George Burns' very last recording at the age of 100. Easy money I'm learning how to make it Easy money You just reach out and take it Ain't it funny How things can change My take home really was low I never knew but my, my whole concept was to bring it back to the old days when we used to introduce the songs of a show before. But in those days, when I was writing in the 60s, these were where people were anxiously waiting to hear what the new song from a show is. Now, now the record companies are not so anxious to give me their top stars to do show material. I did Sweet Charity, I had Barbara Streisand, I had Peggy Lee, I had Tony, those were the people of the era. And they did single records. Cy Coleman's standards include Witchcraft, The Best Is Yet To Come, Hey Look Me Over, Real Live Girl, all written with Carolyn Lee. And with Dorothy Fields, he wrote songs like If My Friends Could See Me Now, and Big Spender. So what I did was I did a pop album called kind of Songs From The Life. And what we did was put together a bunch of pop singles. And we introduced the songs of the idea. Here's Cy Coleman himself singing a lovely day to be out of jail. Ain't the weather fine? Ain't a cloud in sight? It's a lovely day to be out of jail. How that sun do shine like a golden light? What a lovely day to be out of jail. I've been in the shade. If you know what I mean 
thanks to legal aid, I am back on the scene. That these songs would become familiar to the public before the show came out. And uh, this is not an old notion, this is not a new notion, this is it? it cost you zip because... And in fact, that was the way throughout history, since the 20s. Since the 20s, that. to really you know, get the songs out there, and by the time the audience walks in, if they, the reason that they say they can, they, you know, they, the tuneful score is because they heard it before. That old line about you walk into the theater yeah. whistling the tunes. As opposed to walking out. Unfortunately, today's Broadway ain't like the old days. Composers used to get on the hit parade with their songs before the shows even opened. That changed after the rise of rock and the fall of the Great American Songbook in the late 1960s. But getting back to the show, so authentic were the hookers in the life that a former Times Square vice cop hung out backstage each night pining for his old beat. You expected to see a lineup of stage door Johnnies soliciting the cast. Here's David Newman. David, how do you know so much? You know, every, every um, type is so accurate in this. And we were all extremely concerned during the casting. No, no, the New York Times. Which is to say, Michael Blake was the director, and, and Joey McNeely, the choreographer, as well as the three of us, Cy and Ira and myself, was there was very distinctive individual types that are on that stage. Some of them are incredibly hot-looking. Others are like every man has different tastes, you know. I don't mean just that very large woman, but there's the, that chubby girl, and there's, there's a, and then there's a Puerto Rican girl who's yeah, not a raging girl. I'm getting too old. 26, watch your mouth now. You say you've been in the life for 10 years. How many days you figure you've been on? But, uh, Lacey, get your calculator, baby. Let's figure it out. All right. Say five johns a night, six nights a week. Of course, that was back in my prime. That's 30 johns a week, 50 weeks a year. Cause I always visit mama at Christmas time. So that's 30 times 50 multiplied by 10. Holy shit, let me do that again. After 10 years in the trade, I've really made a grade. It says here I've been laid by over 15,000 men. Lord, have mercy. The other answer to your question, Josh, is some of that you get through us osmosis. I mean, I mean, when cited Sweet Charity, didn't mean he was hanging around dancing all girls. When I did Bonnie and Clyde, I wasn't living in the 30s with gangsters. It's being a writer. It's, it's being a writer. You just imagine it and you get it right. You know when it's wrong, you know. I mean, and I also used to know Silky from hanging around Elaine's because Silky, was, who was a famous pimp of the time, whose real name was Porky, but but when he wrote the book, he can't he did, be a pimp called Porky. Yeah, but he was. But when he changed his name to Silky, when he wrote Gentleman of Leisure, which was a that really important piece of source material for me when I came in to this project. Silky, whose coffee table book, Gentlemen of Leisure, A Year in the Life of a Pimp, came out in 1972, went on the Mike Douglas show to promote the book. He announced, I make more money than the President of the United States, 
and the next morning a brace of IRS agents showed up at his apartment. He went to jail for quite a few years. You remember, he used to love to hang around writers, and writers used to love to hang around, writers love to hang around gangsters, so it's always been that symbiotic relationship, you know. And, and, uh... Silky was at Elaine's, wasn't he? All the time. Because my dad... All the time. My dad hung with him a lot. Oh, yeah, I know. Detroit Ave, you know. Yeah, I know. It was based on... I know. I mean, Silky's had a big (laughs) big influence on the sale. I I found the book on my shelf. He'd given me a copy. In fact, some of the costumes... There's one guy in it who looks just like, you know, with the mutton chop. That guy you named Silky, it looks a little like Silky. Yeah, it looks looks a little like Silky because I gave the book to, uh, to, uh... I gave it to Michael originally. Michael gave it to the costume guy and the hair guy and the book got passed around. How much time did he do? I think he did five years, but I'm just guessing. Bruce might know. You've seen him since he's been out? No, but I think your father heard from him. He had music connections, he'd say. And that was his, he was going to clean his act up and get into the the music. But he survived, and most pimps ended up shot, uh, killed, they went insane, where they became shoeshine boys when they got old. Yeah. Um, you know, most pimps of that era did not survive. Mm, that's interesting. Uh, there was nothing in there, not a moment rang false to me. Oh, that's great. And to that's know what, that. you know, and, and I'm wondering if any pimps saw it from who, surviving pimps. I know <laughs> one guy in Texas who was a Times Square pimp. Really? Then, you know, but I don't know. Tell him a if he comes to New York. You know? David Newman kept a lucky show world token in his pocket on opening night. Opening night of the show, I was going through some stuff and I was looking for a pair of companies and I, I, we still can't figure this out. Out of some old box fell, is a token from Show World, a peep show token that I've been carrying around with me ever since opening night as a, as a good luck thing. David Newman was perhaps the first writer to do an article about Ed Wood in Film Comment Magazine in the early 70s when Wood was still alive. He discovered Wood's work on 42nd Street. He called his partner, Robert Benton, at Esquire. The two of them had created the Dubious Achievement Awards. And he told Benton he'd just seen something extraordinary. When I was a kid, 42nd Street was cheap. Was you, <coughs> first of all, was you Uber's, remember Hubert's? I remember Hubert's Flea Circus vividly. And I remember shooting galleries, playlands, and all those yeah, kinds of And all those theaters. And, and I remember in the, in the early 60s, which is when I discovered Ed Wood in the article I originally wrote for for, uh, for uh, 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 Film Comment magazine. It was, no, I wrote an article in Film Comment magazine in the seventies called "Guilty Pleasures" about twelve movies. It was a series that they run, and and I wrote about see, about the fact that I was walking down Forty the Rialto, which is around the corner on Forty Second Street, and ta- and you know that one on the corner, and I, there was this big sign that said, "I changed my sex." starring Bella Lugosi. And I thought, whatever this is, I'm buying my ticket. How can there be a movie called that? That was the, one of its titles, as you know. Yeah. You know. And I went and saw it. Couldn't believe what I was watching, because there was the whole Ed Wood phenomenon. It wasn't just the subject matter. It was the whole did it say Glenna Glenda in the credits? No, it, it, it said I changed my sex. I, I remember I called Ben, who was at Esquire. I said, I'm not coming back to work this afternoon. I said, invent a reason to come over here and meet me I'll, uh, uh, and I'll be in row such a, and he came I watched it a second time we called our wives and said 
get babysitting. It's meanest at six o'clock. You got to see this fucking movie. I watched it three times in one day, and I later wrote this article about. It. So there was also when I was a kid. You must remember this. There used to be a place on Forty Second Street called Laugh Movie. L A F F F. And it always had three. I remember going there. It's Three Stooges festivals. And before TV, Hardy. before they came to TV, it was three. Before there was TV, there was Three Stooges comedies and. And Laurel and Hardy comedies and Leon Errol comedies and uh, can't beat that. Huh? You can't beat that. You know, yeah, the whole thing, you know, it was like this when we used to have newsreel theaters. The life is helping to inaugurate the new Times Square here in 1997, and this is what Cy Coleman thinks of it. <laughs> How do you feel about the renovation of the palace? What they did, you know, building over the palace theater and what they did to that. I mean, the yeah, palace or the new Amsterdam? The palace. A few years ago, you know, they knocked down the <coughs> building, but I think they preserved at least the stage and everything. No, I had the first show. Oh, but you had when they renovated it. The first show was the renovation. Which was for charity. Oh no, I meant you had Will Rogers there at the end. I'm oh, talking yeah. about. I'm talking about the what was done five years ago at the. Palace. Oh, you're talking about when the uh, the uh, when they, they knocked the down the hotel. They put this giant hotel over it and everything. Oh, yeah. I don't. I, 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 I hated it. I hated it. Um, number one, I think that it's, it was an institution that should have kept the grand marquee, and they should do it. I mean, to me, uh, if you're going to dress up Broadway, dress it up with the dressiest thing you have. It really looks like a theme park in Cincinnati, not even in New York. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's so commercialized. I wouldn't mind if it at least made a pretense of, of being part of the character of the city. So but I yeah. Well, Broadway they, itself is different, though. The Broadway's turned into neon, but it's turned into a kind of like an almost uh, what is that? The Blade Runner. And I remember that. What I call for someone film monkey with Broadway. That's it. Exactly. What was some of the lyrics? With a toast, probably. Right. Don't monkey with Broadway. You recall it? You line? can. No, Fred Astaire, George Burns sang the record. You can, you know, glorify Fifth Avenue. Da da da. da you can tear down something and. and in the zoo, but please don't monkey with Broadway. It's a great song. Square and put Brooklyn anywhere, but please, please, I beg on my knees, don't monkey with old Broadway. I'm getting too old for the oldest profession. I'm getting too old for the half hour session. I'm getting too old for a pro. We lost David Newman in 2003 at the mere age of 66. We lost Cy Coleman in 2004 at the mere age of 75. Both big losses. This is Josh Allen Friedman with Tales of Times Square, the tapes. It's
We'll see you next week on Old Broadway. To tell you the truth.